that Gawani, the flying winger. Oh, goodness me! He doesn't mean anybody, Steve Zakawani! Steve Zakawani was never fun <laughs> to stick up against. Was it for Zakawani? None of this is possible. It's Steve! It's Steve! <laughs> this is so weird. Steve Zakawani! What's up, everyone? Steve Zakawani here. Happy New Year. Welcome to the first episode of 2019 of Winging It with Zakawani. And usually on the first episode, you know, we want to kind of preview the upcoming season, talk about changes in the offseason, what's happening, um, what to expect from training camp and things like that. But um, with the recent news of Ziggy Schmidt's passing, um, it's appropriate to dedicate the first episode of 2019 to such a huge legendary figure in in US soccer. I mean, this is a guy who has influenced everyone involved in the game at high levels and low levels, either directly or indirectly. But he has had an influence on so many people. And, you know, I could have called a million different folks today and gotten their opinions on Ziggy. So we do have a few, um, hopefully, that will come through. We'll be talking to Patrick Iani, who played for Ziggy Schmid on the US under-20s team. And also here in Seattle, of course, and Patrick Iani's older brother played for Ziggy at UCLA way back in the day. Um, Chad Barrett, former Sounders and former everyone, um, had a very close bond with Ziggy Schmidt as well. And hopefully we'll get a chance to speak with Jimmy Conrad. Um, As of now, that's not confirmed, but um, it's going to be a fluid show, kind of just sharing stories, memories about Ziggy Schmidt. Um, I know that the outpouring, um, just just social media alone and the media at large, um, it, it's been incredible. It's been incredible because, you know, he's someone who deserves that. And the, maybe the sad part of it is that, you know, he's not going to get to retire and then spend 20 years, you know, giving talks and sharing his stories and being celebrated, you know, very sudden, very young. And so in his absence, we'll try to do our best to... Um, to pay tribute to a giant of a man, a giant of a coach, um, someone who influenced so many people. For myself, if I can begin personally, um, the first time I was aware of Ziggy Schmid was actually when I was back in Ohio. I mean, most of you, I'm sure, know that I went to college in Ohio at the University of Akron. Um, I was about two and a half hours, three hours away from Columbus. So I was playing in Akron, Ohio, at the same time Ziggy Schmid was coaching the Columbus crew. So my college coach, Caleb Porter, who ironically just got announced as the Columbus crew coach, um, now uh, when we were in college, he would let me know if MLS coaches or GMs were in the stands to watch me. So there was a game where Jason Christ and Garth Lagerway came, um, the, the Real Salt Lake contingent, maybe just one of them came, but they came, he let me know, he also let me know when Ziggy Schmidt came, and Ziggy Schmidt maybe came to watch me play eight to nine times in college, and considering you only play 20, 23 games a year, um, that's huge, to come eight, nine times, make that drive up to watch me play, so I was familiar with Ziggy back then, I didn't know him personally, but I knew of him, and he, of course, knew of me. The first time I met him in person was in Florida at the MLS Combine. You know, I'd signed my contract with the league, 
and we were doing a combine a few days before the draft. And I met with several teams down there. I met with DC United. I met with Real Salt Lake. And I met with the Seattle Sounders. And it was Adrian Hanauer, Brian Schmetzer, Chris Henderson. Um, I believe Chris Cornish, uh, the head trainer, was down there. Um, and Ziggy Schmid. And, you know, it was, you know, I grew up in England in the era of Alex Ferguson and Arsene Wenger, these kind of larger-than-life coaches who are kind of intimidating, you know, just their presence and their name. And I knew the name Ziggy Schmidt. And so first time meeting him, it was a little bit intimidating as a college player trying to impress, hoping, you know, that you'd make a good impression so you can get drafted really high, um, sitting down, talking with them. You know, I, I honestly don't remember much of what was said, but... Um, it was a pleasant meeting with the whole crew um, and I, you know, got to know them a little bit and they got to know me. And then a few days later, of course, I was drafted by the Sounders in St. Louis when we all met up again. And to be honest, I signed my contract with MLS at the end of 2008. The combine was at the start of 2009. I had about four weeks off, um, three weeks off. And I went back to England, went home and I didn't work out. I didn't try I celebrated because you know I was a pro I signed I didn't really care where I got drafted but I was a pro so I showed up to the combine out of shape and I did not have a very good combine the thing that saved me at the combine was that my college coach Caleb Porter was also my combine coach and so he didn't play me many minutes because he knew I was out of shape so he didn't want me to continue to play because you know your stock might drop and I'm from the UK I'm not familiar with what the combine was so it took me by surprise um years later I found out that the sounders went into the combine saying we're going to draft this kid after the combine they weren't sure and it was Ziggy Schmid who told Adrian Hanawa who was the GM at the time as well as the owner and said no we're going to draft this kid and Ziggy's exact words to Adrian were you know he's either going to be a really 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 big bust or he's going to be extremely successful there'll be no in between It's going to be one or the other. This isn't a guy who's going to be kind of middle of the pack. He's going to be either really good or really, really bad. It's going to go one way or the other. And the Sounders management and front office put their trust in the coach's opinion because he'd seen me play several times. And I came to Seattle, of course, and we did some great things together. The rest is history. So I would not even be in Seattle if not for Ziggy Schmidt. So I could just start there for myself. But I arrive in Seattle in preseason. Um, we have a first preseason game down against the LA Galaxy. And I started, you know, in preseason game. And looking back now, it's just preseason. But that was a big deal for me because you know, I'm in the pros and you, you want to win a spot. I started, I won a penalty early on in the game. And I remember coming, being subbed off at halftime and Ziggy just saying to me, you know, it's your spot to lose. And as a rookie coming into a team, You don't expect to always play much. I knew I was good. I knew I should probably play, but you don't know if the coach is going to want to go with experience with older players. So for him to tell me immediately after the first preseason game, it's your spot to lose, that was huge. And then the next day in training, I got injured, my ankle injury. Now, when you're in college and you're injured, that means time off. That means you rest and you wait till it's healed up. What I quickly learned in the pros is when you're injured, you work harder than when you're actually not injured. You're doing rehab twice a day. You're doing all kinds of workouts like cycling and swimming, things that don't put stress on your ankle. And that was Ziggy Schmidt getting onto me. And it got to the point where I maybe could have come back three weeks later, four weeks later, but I wanted to make sure I was ready. And Ziggy came and saw me, I think in my hotel room, actually. We might have been even in Argentina for preseason. And he said, you know, if you can play at 70, 80% in the pros, you do it. Because 
someone's going to be taking your spot the longer you stay out. And so that was his way of basically saying that you're losing that spot. And then the inaugural game came around and I barely had trained that week. So I was on a bench. I came on in the 60th minute. And then the following week I trained and was in a starting lineup against Salt Lake. And I never left the lineup again under Ziggy Schmid. From that point on, if I was fit, I played. And that leads me to, for me, what was one of Ziggy's greatest qualities. And then if you're on the other side of it, is one of Ziggy's qualities you don't like. Ziggy was very loyal. So once you were in, you were in. In the sense of he trusted who he trusted. If Ziggy gave you a chance to play and you repaid him by playing well, if you're an attacking player, you get an assist, you get a goal. I remember my first start against Salt Lake, I had an assist to Nate Jaqua and you know, I gave um, the right back, I think it was Tony Beltran, um, just fits and nightmares and was just on my, on my game, in my zone, had a great game. And then from that point on, it was like, okay, that's my guy, that's my left winger. And we had a good team, we had good players and I was 20 years old, you know, 21, 20 years old. And the coach just stuck by me. Ziggy's the, the kind of coach where if you have two or three or four bad games, you're not necessarily going out of the lineup. You'll stay until you really stink it up. Other coaches, they flip-flop, you play bad, you're out, you play well, you're in. So if you were in with Ziggy, you benefited greatly and many players can attest to that. Um, the negative side to that is if you were out, then I'm sure it was very difficult to get in. So a lot of young players who maybe were training well, out playing veterans, never saw maybe as much time as they should have. So that was kind of a snapshot into who Ziggy was as a coach. Um, our relationship was very good. It was honest. It became very honest very quickly. I remember after my rookie year, no, during my rookie year, we had three games in a week. San Jose at home on a Saturday, DC at home on a Wednesday, and then New York away on a Saturday. Three games in a week, San Jose, DC, New York. And we played San Jose at home and oh, I, I was flying. It was, I think it was summertime. I always played better in the heat. Um, I hate the cold and had a fantastic game. And then, the Tuesday before the DC game, the midweek game, Ziggy says, you're not going to play, I'm going to rest you. Oh, and I lost it. Because in my mind, what I heard was, you're getting dropped. And even though he says, I want to rest you to play with you in New York, oh, I was really upset. And so when I was upset at training, I, I couldn't hide it, you would see, you know, so I was grumpy and I would train well. I would train with a chip on my shoulder and I would actually train really well. And I trained really, really well the game, the train, last training before DC game, but I was on the bench. And we ended up joining the game 3-3. I came on for like 10, 15 minutes. But when I came on, I didn't do much. I wasn't energetic. My mind wasn't there. And Ziggy came in after the game and, oh, he laid into me. He ripped me, called me straight into his office, and he went crazy. Uh, that's the first time that I saw him go at me like that. And then the next day, we had the airport going to New York, and he came. We had another conversation, which was very calm. And, you know, I think that was a turning point because we learned just to become very honest because there's some things I didn't agree with, some things he didn't agree with, and we moved forward. And that was Ziggy. Ziggy didn't necessarily like confrontation, wasn't a coach who called a bunch of one-on-one -on -one meetings, wasn't a guy who wanted to explain every decision he made. You know, nor should a head coach have to. But if you approached him and went to talk to him, he would. You know, there's many players you can tell you they sat with Ziggy in a Starbucks. They sat with Ziggy, you know, somewhere off-site and just had a chat with him. And he was good with that. He would send a text here and there. So, you know, those are the things I remember. Just a coach who was... Um, very focused on getting three points. Ziggy's whole objective was three points for the team. He didn't care um, so much about everything else around that. You know, 
it wasn't about developing players first. It wasn't about the relationships first. It was get three points and then we'll figure out the rest as we go. And I'll go on record to say this. I don't think the Seattle Sounders get off to the start they got off to in that first four, five, six years as an expansion team without someone like Ziggy Schmidt. If it had been another coach or something like that, there's no way to know. I don't think they would have commanded the locker room respect right away, the players he was able to attract. I remember very deep into preseason, we managed to sign Tyrone Marshall because he had known Ziggy and Tyrone was huge for us. Um, he was huge for us in that first year. Things like that. He, Brad Evans had come over and he got him to buy in. He's the one that found Osvaldo Alonso. He got him to buy in. He was good about coaching a guy like Montero who back then you know, didn't really speak the language well. He needed an arm around his shoulder a lot. He needed you, you didn't yell at Montero. Montero might have a bad game, but you just kind of left it alone because if he's the kind of player you yell at him, he plays worse. So you encourage him. Whereas other players like myself, you need to yell at me and then I'll play well. I didn't mind being yelled at. But he, he did figure that out, how to coach different players differently. Um, so those are the things I think I personally will remember. And then in the later years, you know, when we weren't player and coach, we stayed in touch. You know, we, you know, I had a conversation with Ziggy in between him leaving Seattle and him being hired by LA, uh, maybe two hours, just sitting in my car, in my garage, about to leave home, and he phoned me. And I just sat there, and we just talked. And it was a conversation about nothing. It was the past, the future, the present, things we've been through, um, what his hopes were, what he was thinking to do. And I told him, you know, you should go on a speaking tour and share your stories. You love telling stories, um, whatever it was. And he, you know, um, asked me what I was up to, the family, just genuine conversation. And there was something I needed him to do at that point. And, you know, he had emailed me the next day with all, I mean, way above and beyond what I thought he was going to and just um, things like that. Then I saw him when he coached the Galaxy and came to play Seattle. We had a brief chat um, backstage in the backstage era as well. So we had a very good relationship. You know, we texted back and forth um, as often as we could. You know, everyone's very busy. So it was very, very, it was very, very honest, open and deeply built on mutual respect relationship and the last thing I'll say on that is you know you may I mean a lot of you probably do know that I've worked on a documentary that kind of details my story of my injury that I had the comeback against Colorado everything after that and Ziggy was a big part of that he was my coach at the time he stayed back didn't fly back with the team he stayed with me in Colorado him and Adrian Hanauer and Randy Noteboom our trainer at the time um, the head coach stayed with me and uh, he brought me back against Colorado. He was the one that gave me that chance to experience one of the greatest nights of my life. And then we got him on the documentary. Ziggy wasn't feeling well. He wasn't feeling well that day. And, you know, our film crew had gone to LA. I'd set everything up. I wasn't there. And they told me, you know, right away, he wasn't feeling well at all, but he stayed with us for as long as we needed him to. And he just pushed through. And then immediately after, um, you know, you can tell he was exhausted. Um, I'm not sure what's happening at the time, but he kind of pushed aside how he was feeling just to give that interview to talk about my story, which really is of no benefit to him at this point. But um, that's you not know, the kind of person he was and kind of relationship we had. So fantastic coach who will be remembered and honoured appropriately. And we can talk about his accomplishments later, um, you know, winning this coach in MLS history, which isn't easy. 260 plus wins that, that's crazy to even think about winning one game in MLS is hard I'll tell you as a player I'm sure it's even harder as a coach um, 
and what he did in college, what he did in the pros. Um, it's unrivaled. The players he developed, the people in some of the top jobs, technical directors across ma- many clubs, coaches, they played for Ziggy or played for someone who played for Ziggy. He's influenced everyone directly or indirectly. Um, I'm sure of that. And he's on the Mount Rushmore of coaches in the US alongside Bruce Arena and Bob Bradley. And you can pick the fourth one. So we'll be back to hear from some of Ziggy's other former players hear their stories, their thoughts, and then we'll probably just wrap up with um, um, some more thoughts on Ziggy Schmidt. So stay tuned. I'm Steve Zakwani, and this is Winging It with Zakwani. Head coach, Ziggy. You guys are absolutely superb. The fans, you guys motivate us every time we step on the field, and we're really appreciative of that. champions of the 2011 U.S. Open Cup. They've won three in a row. <laughs> At least this year I'm wearing the right clothes. <laughs> and Marco Papa scooping it in. A perfect finish to the season for the Seattle Sounders. You know, we're six years in and now we've, in essence, won won four Open Cups and, and a Supporter Shield. That's five trophies in six years. I am honored to present my friend, Ziggy Schmidt, for enshrinement into the National Soccer Hall of Fame. I'm so proud to be not only inducted, but to be inducted with you guys. You know, I think that's something that is, is very special to me. And I uh, just want to thank all the players I've been able to coach and all the friendships I've been able to make. I'm now joined by one of Ziggy Schmidt's former players, um, a guy who you know made a great impact here when he played um, for the Rave Green in Seattle. I'm joined by Chad Barrett to share a few thoughts on his relationship with Ziggy Schmidt while he played for him here in Seattle and beyond. So, Chad, what's up, man? Uh, namaste. How are you doing, boss? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. So, uh, tell us the first time you actually met Ziggy. What was that? Where were you when you first met him? And then how did your relationship kind of start off between you and him? Uh, first time I ever met Ziggy was uh, with the U20 national team uh, when he was coaching. We were trying to, uh, uh, we were in camp trying to make the, the qualifying team for the U18 or the U20 world championships that were going to be played in Holland in 2005. And uh, I just remember, you know, walking in and seeing this great big, great big man. Uh, didn't know if he'd ever played soccer, uh, but you know, quickly learned that you know he just had an unbelievable mind for the game, and uh, you know, completely captivated my attention right away. Obviously, I wanted to make team and I wanted to do impression, impress him. But at the same time, I you know I, I had a you know a kind of a, a drawing to him um, because of kind of just his honesty and. Uh, you know, we uh, our relationship started off pretty well from the, from the get go. So then, when you you had him again in Seattle, how, how, was he a different coach when you had him in Seattle to when you had him in that U twenties camp, or was it still to you pretty much the same coach? No, it was a different coach. You know, I was coaching two different types of soccer, two different levels of soccer. Uh, when you're coaching 
a national team, nobody's really playing for the money unless you're playing, you know, at the at the top level. Uh, playing on the U20 national team is like playing on the college team. Everybody's just playing for for one goal. Everybody's just trying to win a championship. Everybody's just trying to do the best they can for the team. And <clears throat> you know, you don't have to worry about egos getting in the way too much. The kids are younger, so they're more teachable, and you know, there's less, you know, uh, they're less egocentric. Um, and then when you get to Seattle, uh, um, not that he was different, but you could tell that the stresses on him were different, mm-hmm. and the demands of his job were different. Um, you know, he had to deal with you know great, great egos up there in Seattle, great players, but great egos. Yeah. Uh, and then money when you put when you put money into any sport, it changes the way uh, you outlook. You know your outlook is on it and everything else like that and there's always much more pressure um from cities you know and stuff yeah. like that i feel than there is from youth national teams you know players who play every single week you know have no reason not to like a coach players who have to kind of fight for their spot and things like that sometimes i have a harder time liking a coach but you seem to just have a great respect for ziggy anyway even though you were competing with clint dempsey oba great players here in seattle for playing time how was ziggy able to kind of keep you locked in so that when you did come in you scored something some big goals, which you did. Um, was he doing anything in particular to kind of let you know you were still a massive part of the team so that when you came on, you still repaid that faith? Uh, he was doing everything. Um, to go back to the U20s, I actually wasn't the starter. Um, to be honest, I don't. I probably owe Ziggy Schmidt. I don't probably owe. I do owe Ziggy Schmidt pretty much everything in my career um, to how it started, to how it was resurrected. Um in the beginning in U20s, I was playing behind Adam uh, Jacob Peterson, actually. I wasn't the starter going into qualification. and I, wasn't, I didn't really have a good sophomore year leading into it. And uh, I was doing well in the camps. I was playing almost as well as Jacob, scoring just as many goals and uh, being just as productive for the team. And so I didn't understand why Jacob was playing over me. So I just simply asked him one day. and He goes, to tell you the truth, Chad, you are playing really well, and I would love to play you, but Jacob is playing just as good as you are right now, so I can't, you know, actually take him out. But if, you know, if it comes to where he his his form drops or he gets injured, you know, so sure you're ready. And uh, that honesty is something that I've always had. You know, I always really respect somebody that is very honest with me. And the fact that he was able to just say that to me instead of just kind of, you know, bullshit around it, um, you know, it, 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 it meant a lot to me. And then when it actually happened and Jacob got hurt right before the first game of qualifying, he stuck to his word. He put me in there and then I had the full confidence that I knew that I had my, my coach's full confidence to go ahead and, you know, just pretty much just, you know, fill in right where Jacob took, uh, left off. Hmm. And then, you know, on the, on the other side of that, when I was in Seattle, I was under no illusions that I was ever going to be a player that played in front of Clint Dempsey or playing in front of Obafemi Martin. But he also said that same thing to me. He goes, hey, Chad, you, these guys are our starters. You know, yeah, I brought you in here to score goals, to bring you on the bench, to bring to, to have you play when – uh, when they can't, and you know, I need you. I need you to be ready whenever that you know, whenever that 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 curtain comes down, and we call you up. And again, that honesty is what I needed to hear at that time in my career. And to know, you know, this is right after I dislocated my foot in 2012, and I had a terrible year in the Revolution. I thought my career was coming to an end. And uh, you know, having that, you know, being back in that kind of familiar setting with him and everything else like that really just kind of put me at ease and let me be able to to play my game and was the reason why a good a big reason why I was able to play with that confidence again and score those goals again so that when I did come on 
And, you know, Clint Dempsey and Oprah Femi drew so much attention that I was always open and always able to score. I had the confidence that I could finish. Yeah, amazing. Um, Lastly, I want to ask you, you had a great tribute to Ziggy on social media. So it's kind of a broad question, but, you know, how how will you remember Ziggy and kind of what will you remember about him um, as we all move forward and kind of process this massive loss to U.S. soccer? Uh, man. <laughs> you know, it's a little emotional talking about it just because it's so, it's so recent. Right. But, uh, you know, I always thought about Ziggy. He cared so much about, he cared so much more about the players than I think a lot of players actually knew. Um, when you get into professional sports as well, you know, a lot of things can get lost and you start asking a lot of questions and it's never your fault. It's always somebody else's fault. And uh, unfortunately, a lot of people look to the top of the chain, look to the general manager, look to the head coach, look to all that type of stuff. But the thing that I really appreciate about Ziggy was the fact that he always took the time to, you know, sit you down, you know, whether you asked for it or whether he thought you needed it. And he just understood, uh, he understood the, the temple of the room and, uh, you know, what needed to be heard. He didn't tell me what I wanted to hear. He told me what I needed to hear. Um, and that was something that I always appreciated. And then, you know, I kind of felt his love, uh, you know, through that. And you can always tell by how intense he was, you know, he could never relax. He could never, you know, he just cared so much about the game, but even more than the game, I think he cared about the players even more, but I don't think a lot of players ever saw that. Yeah. Amazing. Realized that. Amazing. Really appreciate that, Chad. Thanks for your time, man. Hey, absolutely, Steve. Uh, good luck. And, uh, maybe I'll see you down there at the funeral, hopefully. Yes. Most likely. Yes. That was Chad Barrett, who, of course, up here in the Emerald City, we remember him for, yeah, you know, I'm thinking in particular, those massive goals against Sporting Kansas City and the LA Galaxy. So I would have loved to have Chad on in different circumstances, but you can hear from his voice um, just how impactful Ziggy was to him as a coach and as a person, um, going all the way back to 2004, 2005, um, up until now. So we'll be joined shortly by another player who was on that U20 team, and also play for Ziggy Schmidt up in Seattle. Patrick Iani um, will be coming up right now to talk about his experience of being under coach Ziggy Schmidt. I mean, the thing that always makes me feel best about coaching is 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 the relationships and the friendships that I've been able to maintain with with a lot of players, and and that's something that uh, you know is is just really important. Uh, but. Uh, you know, I mean, for sure, you always remember championships. Uh, you know, there's certain games. Uh, you know, you know, you remember. But overall, for me, you know, always the number one thing that comes to my mind is just, uh, just the relationships and friendships. You know, that you've been able to develop. I mean, over years, you, as a coach, you always sometimes bump heads with players. But at the end of the day, it always seems to work out because they realize that you want to do the best for the team and you re- and you know that they want to do the best for the team too and and that's why you know that respect is is always there I'm now joined by my former teammate former roommate for away games and someone who as mentioned you know goes whose family goes way way back with Ziggy but who also personally goes way back with Ziggy I'm joined by former Sounders FC defender I think 2012 goal of the year winner I could be wrong I'm sure he'll correct me um Patrick Iani what's up man nothing dude um yeah thank you for 
keeping the, the goal of the year legend alive. <laughs> also for clarifying that we weren't uh, at home roommates, even though my wife and I really like you and would have loved <laughs> for you to stay with us at our house. I, 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 was, I, was, I, was, I was there a lot. I'm not going to lie. I was there a lot. That's true. That's true. <laughs> we definitely utilized, utilized some of your, uh, your amazing um, speaking services <laughs> on, a, on a small level at our house. So thank uh, you for all the inspiration. Hilarious. Um, obviously, we talk all the time, um, you know, through the years. We've talked throughout the years. And sometimes Ziggy Schmidt does come up a lot. Obviously, now this conversation is in a different context with the news of Ziggy's passing on Christmas. So kind of the first thing I want to ask you, is go back to before you played for Ziggy because your older brother had played for Ziggy and remained friends with Ziggy throughout the years. So when did the name Ziggy Schmid become kind of a fixture in your life before you'd even probably met him or played for, for him yourself? Man, yeah. I mean, he was definitely a fixture uh, in our life or in my life uh, from before I can even rem- I have I have memories almost. Um, I think I was probably three or four years old, he came to, came to my brother's or came to my parents' house, our, our house, uh, in Lodi, California. And, uh, on a recruiting trip to, to come meet my parents and meet my brother, uh, in person, um, at our house. And so, yeah, that was back in 88, 89, something like that. Um, and, uh, yeah. And, and at that point, uh, kind of sold my parents and my brother, um, on him and, or, or they were sold, I should say on him and, and UCLA and, and it was, my, you know, for my brother, it was an absolute dream to be playing um, college soccer at UCLA with Ziggy. Um, and, and he still holds it, that experience in very, very, very high regard. And um, and being able to, to be coached by Ziggy. Ziggy was the, you know, the best coach in, in college soccer um, and had, had created this program as well um, in the, the, right. the mid, mid-80s and all throughout the 90s, too. All right, and then fast forward several years down the line, you end up on the U20s, and Ziggy's the coach. Is that the first time he coached you? That was the first time. Yeah, I had I you know I when I was a little a little runt, I was I was watching UCLA games, and he was there. I don't remember a ton of that, um, but yeah, I basically I, I played at UCLA. Ziggy had gotten uh, was in kind of it was after his time with the Galaxy the first time, um, and he took over the U twenties and he, he came to watch. I was a sophomore at UCLA. This was in 2004 in the fall of 2004. And, and uh, yeah, he came out and watched some more games and brought me into his, his first U 20 camp. He only had six months to prepare us basically for that under 20 world cup in, in 2005, uh, in, in which he did a, a, a pretty marvelous job um, at. And I, I learned a lot, probably one of my biggest growing periods of my entire career was that six month stint the U twenties, um, where, you know, where it's been mentioned, you know, since I I've seen it in a few articles, but yeah, we, you know, we beat an Argentina or a messy led Argentina team. Why not then in the first the opening game, which was a, a pretty cool deal. Um, obviously. And then, and then a really, really good tournament should have gone a lot further, honestly, um, other than a couple of weird goals. It gets right. scored us in quarterfinals, but yeah, um, but that was kind of that was the next phase of, uh, or basically the start of Ziggy and I's relationship that ended up lasting uh, from a on a professional level from 2005, or I guess 2004 to uh, 2013 when he called me and said, 
Um, we're going to bring in Chad Marshall instead. <laughs> You're out of here. That's funny. Um, so then, obviously, I know Ziggy from his time in Seattle. As well as you do, we were here the exact same length as players. Um, and, you know, we experienced yeah, the sure. good, the bad, the ups, the downs. Every coach has their strong points, their weaknesses. Um, but before Seattle, when you had him in that U20s, because he's not co- he, at that point, he's not coaching men per se. He's not coaching professionals professionals what was his coaching style then and you know what kind of what memories you have from being in that camp for those few weeks you guys win that tournament yeah well, that's an interesting thing like that you know to give some some context to Ziggy and and uh his style of coaching I, I think that Ziggy had this you know at the professional level he had to deal with you know you know basically boys in a sense you know coming out of college and from a standpoint of of what their life experience was, they're still very much boys. Um, and that's what he was dealing with, with the U twenties and me for sure. Um, where I'm, uh, you know, you know, traveling, getting, you know, going through, through, uh, customs was a, was a new and, and big thing, you know, kind of, you know, there's all kinds of, of, uh, life experience that was lacking at that U 20 age group, right. And, and, and maturity and stuff. So he's having to, to keep guys sort of sort of in line and, and judge character and judge ability and all that kind of stuff. So he had to balance uh, as any coach does. I think he did an incredible job. And there's actually someone I was talking to Chad Barrett. Um, we just had him on about yeah, this. Just before this. Yeah. Oh, did you really? Yeah. 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 So Chad uh, and I were speaking and Chad was saying that like, you know, a lot of those guys from the U 20 team uh, actually are still the guys that were, were on the bench on that team. Where guys are guys like Lee Lynn, who's who's still doing really well, and I think he got the 50 goal, 50 assist club in MLS uh, down at, and he's down in LAFC, obviously. Um, but there's, you know, his ability. I think everyone says this was one of Ziggy's biggest strengths was being able to eye talent. But I think there's a part of that he was always he was always you know taking the time, and he loved it too. This is the thing about Ziggy, he loved you know meeting with people and talking to people and just getting to know people, and, and mm-hmm. I think that was a huge part of it. Like. In, and I think, you know, in my case, um, he knew my brother and stuff, so I didn't have as many conversations. He just knew my family was were upstanding sort of people, and and, um, and and it was something that, you know, but he was always doing that. And, you know, all these guys that are still playing, they're playing because they're, you know, they're hardworking guys that are, that are, uh, that are um, you know, there's a lot to that. But I, I think he had the ability right. to, to see that and, and engage it and did all, did all the work, quite honestly, to – to know about that stuff because he cared about his teams. He cared about his employ- his employers, you know, and, and who he was serving and the, and the fans of U.S. soccer and, and founders and crew and, and galaxy. So. Right. Um, in, in the years to come, in the decades to come, there'll be a lot more time for this kind of trying to contextualize Ziggy Schmidt's standing in the U.S. soccer hierarchy or his place. Um, obviously, you throw a name like Ziggy Schmidt, right away you think of Bruce Arena, Bob Bradley, kind of that club. Um, for you... It's very soon, obviously, but where do you kind of place Ziggy's legacy? Like, what about his legacy should people focus on? Is it the trophies, the wins and losses, being successful at multiple levels? Is it more the fact that almost every technical director or head coach in the league has either been coached by him or indirectly coached by him? Um, what, yeah, how do you kind of summarize Ziggy's legacy? Yeah, well, listen, I mean, the, the, the wins and losses and the championships um, speak for themselves for sure. Like that's a, I mean, he's, he's up there with Bruce, um, right. as two guys that have 
you know, pretty much owned MLS. You know, there's Dom Kinnear, um, who's, you know, sort of right behind them. Uh, I'm trying to think who else you, you mentioned, Bob Bradley for sure, um, who Bob's been, you know, not entirely with MLS, right? right. You know, had his other stints. But I think that the, the, so that part of it kind of speaks for itself. But I think that him, he was a, a pioneer in terms of, of, of his, his passion. Right. And, right. and, um, and he, he, he brought a confidence to, um, and a stature to what he did just as just the way he, he brought himself. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. and he knows the game, but, um, uh, and he studied it, um, on, in, in many different leagues and in many different ways. Uh, but I think that that's the thing he, he he was sort of, he should be remembered as a pioneer for sure. And obviously, um, being where in a time in the eighties and nineties where soccer was, was in real infancy, it still feels like it is in some ways now, um, in America, but, um, but that, that's it. And then that's in the end, his passion and his, his passion to bring people together, um, <clears throat> under this, uh, under this, uh, or, or yeah, under this, and not under the soccer ball, but like, in this in this kind of context um was something that he did really well he loved connecting people um and uh and i think that's that's something that on a more intimate level is is really um beautiful and will have ripple effects for for many years to come with all the relationships i mean i think you just saw his son right who's who's a huge kurt uh who's who's really good at what he does, right. but certainly a beneficiary of, of his dad's right. kind of laying the groundwork. And, and now he's going out to, to Miami right now um, right. to be, I think, I don't know, their technical director. I'm not quite sure exactly yeah, his yeah, role, that's but, yep. but that's, that's the kind of stuff where like, you know, you know, and that's, that goes for a lot of people, not just his son. There's a, there's a t- tremendous amount of people, including myself. Like I, I, there's, you know, the connection you made with my brother gives me, you know, gives right. me a chance to, to go on the U20 team and then have an incredible career and right. and get the experience of, of playing in Seattle and everything else. Um, so yeah, it's uh, there's just a ton of people that benefited from his hard work and passion and uh, and commitment to people. So very well said, man. Well, Patrick, really appreciate you taking the time to um, jump on the podcast, um, talk about Ziggy Schmidt. Anytime, brother. So we'll be in touch, obviously. But um, we appreciate your time, man. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And then I just want to put a little plug in there for, um, I know that there's a lot of people from the Sounders, mm-hmm. um, kind of family that, it, that are coming down for his funeral. Um, but it's January 18th, yes. uh, at five, at 5 PM. You probably don't have that information. So, yeah. um, but, uh, yeah. So anyways, it's, it's down in, down in Manhattan beach. Um, I asked, I asked on the podcast, how big is this facility, this church? Because I think everyone's going to want to come down. Yeah, uh, well, I talked to his. I, I texted with his with his wife Val, and, yeah. and she said that it's. Um, I think it. I think it holds a thousand people. Oh, okay, um, okay. So they'll need that. Yeah, yeah. So I, I, but but I think uh, yeah, I think it'll be pretty pretty full here um, between all the different circles, UCLA for sure, and the Galaxy, and and uh, and then just the whole Southern California soccer community, not to mention the crew and and yeah. and, and the Sounders. So. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so I will be there, and and I'm 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 looking forward to to celebrating him and um, and uh, being with his family. So, all right, sounds great, Patrick. Man, well, enjoy the rest of your day, and thanks for joining us. Yeah, see you, brother. All right, thanks, dude. And that was former Sounders FC defender Patrick Ioni joining us to reminisce about 
his coach and his older brother's coach as well, um, Ziggy Schmid, um, who, as we know and we've been talking about, has passed away um, on Christmas Day. So the information Patrick gave there, I think it is open to the public. Um, I'm reading directly here from a text from um, Ziggy's widow. Um, She says, Ziggy's mass will be January 18th at 5 p.m. at American Martyrs Catholic Church in Manhattan Beach. So, and there'll be a reception following that. And seats about a thousand. I'm sure there'll be full to capacity, but it's open for anyone who wants to attend and pay their last respects to Ziggy Schmidt. When I walked on the field, as I said to Schmitz, I said, this is what heaven must be like. You know, in my imagination of heaven, this is it. Packed house, beating Portland by three. You know, fans going crazy. It can't get better than that. Well, as always, thanks for tuning in. This was the first uh, podcast of 2019, and we absolutely had to dedicate it to the late, legendary Ziggy Schmid. Um, And I'm sure you all have your own stories, memories, your interactions with him. Um, Continue to share those on social media, because I know his family does see it, and it means so much to them to see the outpouring of love that, um, you know, their husband, father, friend, brother um, has received. We'll be back on winging it with Zakwani with the preseason preview the first week of February. We'll be here first week of February previewing those preseason games, taking a look at the roster. By then we'll know all the moves, obviously some big things to discuss. A couple of big new contracts for a couple of the guys. Some big names could be leaving if you're paying attention to the rumor mill on social media. Um, but we'll have a better idea in a few weeks. So we'll be sitting here in first week of February and then we'll keep it rolling for the entire year bringing you exclusive content from behind the scenes great interviews and just keeping you up to date with all things Sounders so I'm Steve Zakwani this is Winging It with Zakwani see you in a few weeks Mm -hmm.